Brothers, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, good morning, Vintage Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Oh, come on. I was like the same motivation level as the 815 service, and they all just woke up. So how are you all doing this morning? All right. That's better. My name's Daniel. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm the, uh, I am one of the pastors here. I'm also the head of school for Vintage Christian Academy, which is our uh, pre-K four through sixth grade for now uh, school that we have out of the Harker Heights location. I'm filling in this week for Pastor Stephen uh, as we wrap up our series Stronger, as we're learning uh, to how to handle spiritual warfare in the world that's around us. I'm excited to help close out that series for us this morning. But before we dive into all of that, I have a couple of things that I want to talk to you guys about and make you aware of. The first is that on November 3rd, which is a Friday night, here in this building, we are going to be hosting our Vintage Christian Academy open house. So on that night, if you are a parent of a student who's pre-K 4 through 6th grade, we're rolling out 7th grade in the fall, right? So don't worry, we're rolling out 7th grade if you have a 6th grade student. Or the parent of a child who's 18 months through 3 years old and you want to talk about our Mother's Day Out program, we are going to be having an open house where you can come and discover everything that we have to offer here for VCA. The truth is that we have 109 students here in the school right now, which is more than we even started the year with. And we have students right now who are asking about making a decision for Jesus Christ for the first time in their life. We have students who are coming home and they're saying that for the first time they understand the Bible because we take the time to disciple them each and every week, each and every day. They start their mornings with scripture. They start it with the word. If you're a parent of a student who's being publicly indoctrinated right now, I would encourage you to come hear what we have to say, right? The truth is that it's worse out there than you might think. And if you haven't heard of what we're doing here, or maybe you weren't able to put your school or your child here in school with us here in the fall, but you are interested in doing so now, we are going to open enrollment here for the spring. So you could put them in, in the middle of the year. Maybe you just moved to the area. I've had a lot of people reach out and we are going to allow them to come in because every single child that we can help protect from the ideological indoctrination of the world, we want to help. So you want to come out and be a part of that event and hear what we have to say and meet all the teachers and see what it looks like to have your child here in school with us. I want to personally invite you out to that event here on Friday, November 3rd at six o'clock. The second thing that I want to talk to you all about before we get into our message is everything that's going on right now in the nation of Israel. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. For those of you who don't watch the news as much over uh, on the day of October 7th, there was a terrorist attack in the nation of Israel that killed uh, about 1,500 uh, civilians in the nation of Israel, which is an extreme loss of life. You're talking about 1,500 uh, people. Many of them were children and even infant babies that were killed, beheaded, burned in this horrible act of violence. And because of that, we believe um, that we as a church were called to help set up 
or help step out in faith and, and help an organization called Eagle's Wings that has uh, provided relief and medical care and food to those who are engaging in this conflict for the Jewish people. Uh, God has a special place for the Jewish people in his word. The Abrahamic covenant came through the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew, right? He came through that people, and Scripture says that we get grafted on into that covenant when we become Christians. That's what Scripture has to say. That's not me. That's the Bible. So because of that, we felt like we were supposed to uh, go and support in, in some way, and so we were able to give a gift of $20,000 from our church to help support Eagle's Wings, and I wanted to play a quick video here from their founder uh, who sent this here to our church. Pastor Stephen Martin, all the family at Vintage Church, Bishop Robert Stearns here from Eagle's Wings, I wanted to thank you for the way you are responding to the crisis in Israel. Through your partnership, we've been able to send support to the very front lines of the battle. I spoke with Mimi yesterday from our Abraham's Bread feeding centers. We fed 7,000 soldiers yesterday on the very front line. This week, we're deploying $40,000 in emergency medical equipment through our partnership with United Hatzalah. In every single aspect, we are immediately deploying to the front lines of this conflict, standing against the evil of Hamas and deploying your prayers and your giving to the front line. Thank you for your support of Israel through Eagle's Wings. Connect with me on social media so I can continue to keep you updated from the front lines. I so appreciate Pastor Stephen Martin and all the family at Vintage Church. Church, if you're in here and you feel called to help support them, you can follow that QR code. You can also go onto our website on vintage.church uh, and you can help support them in that way. The truth is that the days are evil. The truth is that the days are wicked. There are things that go on in our world today that are absolutely an abomination in the eyes of God. This is one of them. This is one of them, and it didn't happen in your backyard, but it did happen uh, to a people that is set apart in Scripture, and we as a church want to help stand in any way that we can against evil as we see it. In fact, there's things that are going on today in our country that are evil. There are things that are going on all around us, in our schools, things in our media, things that you see every day that God thinks are detestable. He does not mince words about the wickedness that is in our world. Did you know that when Paul wrote Ephesians 6, which is what we've been spending our time in our series on today, was over 2,000 years ago. And did you know that the days were evil then and they are evil now? They are evil right now. So everything that he had to say then is timely for us now. So I think it's interesting that we're spending our time talking about spiritual warfare as all of this happened as we look around and we see the craziness of the world, we see the things that are going on, it has to be known that what is happening here in the physical starts in the spiritual. There is a spiritual realm around us that affects what happens in your everyday life. That is what scripture has to say. It does not say that it's something that we just made up. It says, this is true, the spiritual exists, and we as believers have to know how to handle it. That's what we've been doing in our series. The big idea for our series is that we can actually win those spiritual battles if we use the tools that God has given us to overcome the enemy. Everybody say overcome. You can overcome if you use the tools that God has given you because it's by God's power that the enemy is overcome. The church has that ability. This past several weeks, we talked about, we spent seven weeks 
uh, in the armor of God in Ephesians 6. We learned in the first week about who the enemy is and the landscape of the battle that we're in. If you want to go back and learn about that and figure out where we are in history. And then week two, we talked about the belt of truth. Then we went on to the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? It is an offensive weapon, the word of God. It goes before us and we can help wield it against the enemy. That's what we talked about last week. And before we dive into week eight, our last and final week, I want to revisit our key passage, Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 18, which says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Everybody say stand. Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, so far we've learned about six things. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. But in Scripture, we're looking for one more. There's a significance to the number seven in Scripture. The number seven is, is the number of completion. Usually it's set apart. It's different. In Genesis, you see that God creates the world in six days, and he sets apart the seventh and makes it holy. In the book of Revelation, we see that the end times are going to be ushered in by groups of seven, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven angels, seven bowls of God's promised wrath carried out by seven more angels. So what is the seventh piece of armor? You find it. In the verse there at the very end, Ephesians 6, 18, this is the next verse right after the ones that we just read, which says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer request, prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. So he's going through all the armor, and then he says, and pray. He says, pray. Why? We're going to look at prayer as the final piece of the armor of God. Paul doesn't specifically call it this, but anybody living in first century Rome would have looked at this and they would have said there's one piece that is missing to put on the whole armor. Every Roman soldier was equipped with a sword, but they were also equipped with a spear or a lance. Anybody looking around would have said there's something missing and I want to pose to you this morning that there is a lance in the armor, as Paul says, and pray because our prayers are both offensive and defensive just as the spear to the Roman soldier was both offensive and defensive. We're going to see that there were several different kinds of spears used by the Romans. They had different tips and materials based on their purposes. Some were heavy. They were made to puncture an enemy's shield, and they, they, that enemy wouldn't be able to carry it. And so somebody else could come in and attack. Some were lighter. They were meant to keep the enemy at bay by being thrown at a distance. Some were used by the cavalry. Some were used to extend a soldier's reach. The cavalry, their spears would be 16 or 17 feet long. They're meant to both keep things from coming towards you and to be able to attack things that are in front of you. They're meant to go before you. I'll tell you what, that is exactly what prayer does for us. In fact, in Scripture, we see that just like there are different kinds of spears, there are different types of prayer. The Bible lists nine types of prayer. Prayer of faith, this is healing, a prayer of faith. Prayer of agreement or corporate prayer, that's when you pray together as a church. A prayer of request, that's when you take your requests to God and ask him for them. A prayer of thanksgiving is when you come before God and you thank him for the things that he's done in your life. There's a prayer of worship 
where you are positioning God as God in your heart and you're acknowledging that. There's a prayer of consecration or dedication. This is when you bring a child in and you do a, de- a child dedication. You're dedicating that child to the Lord or you're dedicating a new venture or something that you're setting out on and you're saying, God, this is yours. I put it in your hands. I dedicate it to you. There's prayers of intercession. That's praying on the behalf of somebody else, interceding for them. There's prayers of imprecation or against the enemy. Did you know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have the power to go and pray against the enemy and thwart his schemes? That's what scripture says. It says that prayer is powerful. It says that you can pray against the enemy to thwart his schemes. And then you see praying in the spirit, which is where you pray as the Holy Spirit gives you the words. There's times when you don't know what you need and you don't know what to pray. And you say, Lord, Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me figure out what I'm supposed to say. And he gives you the words. Some interesting facts about prayer that we see in the scripture. There's over 650 prayers listed in the scripture. There's over 450 answers to prayer in the scripture. And the first time that prayer is mentioned is in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16, or 26. The Bible records Jesus praying 25 different times. That doesn't mean that Jesus only prayed 25 times. It means that there were separate instances recorded of him doing it. And that means that Jesus daily was disciplining himself to pray. It shows that it was a habit. It wasn't just something that happened once. He was like, all right, I got my prayer in for the day or for the year or for the month. Good to go. Jesus disciplined himself to pray every day. It's very important to him. Jesus was passionate about prayer and spending time with God. I want to talk to you guys really quick about a posture of prayer. This is a question that I've been asked several times, which is, do I have to, do I have to be on my knees when I pray? Do I have to be in this specific posture? Can I pray when I'm driving in my car? And here's what I tell people. I tell people the answer is yes to both. So what I mean by that is that there's different postures of prayer that we see all throughout scripture. There's sitting, standing, kneeling, face to the ground, hands lifted high. All of those are valid ways that you can pray. But I want to talk to you about your physical posture because it actually matters. The truth is you don't want to be so legalistic that you can't pray when you're driving to work in the morning with your eyes open and your head not bowed because that would be foolish, all right? You are not supposed to be Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel while I take a prayer, all right? That is not what scripture says. You can pray with your eyes wide open talking to God alone in the car. That is 100% a valid prayer. That's a prayer uh, that is from the right posture. When I say the right posture, what I mean is that there's times you also need to take a moment, you need to go in your closet, you need to close the door and you need to get on your knees. Why? Because you're humbling yourself before the king. That's what you have to remember. It's appropriate to pray in a different posture at different times, and you have to use the wisdom that God gives you in order to discern what that is. But don't fool yourself into thinking that you never need to go into your closet and get on your knees. Because the truth is that your posture does matter. It's you coming and you saying, look, God, my physical is a reflection of my spiritual, which is a humble heart before you. Humble yourself before God so that your prayers can be received. That matters, but you don't want to be in legalism. You don't want to be the person that can't pray a prayer when you're sitting across somebody because you're not, you're not on your knees. You need to be able to pray when you need wisdom from God. James tells us when you want wisdom, you just pray and ask God for it. I've had conversations where I'm sitting and I need the words to give to somebody and I don't know what they are and I'm sitting there praying while I'm talking to them. That's respectful both to them and to God because I'm seeking his will. Figure out, how you can honor God in your physical posture when you pray. Jesus did this. He went, he went to pray as a discipline 
In fact, we see in Mark chapter 1, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. It says again in Matthew 14, After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Luke 5, 16 says, Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. You constantly see that Jesus is in prayer. He's taking the time to go and get alone with God. It's not something that he's just doing to be seen, and it's also not something that he's just doing every now and again. It's a discipline. It's something that he consistently does. It's where he is going to seek guidance. It's where he's going to get time alone with his Father. Jesus was passionate about prayer. He was so passionate that when he started to see that the house of prayer had been made into a den of thieves, he rebuked the religious leaders of that day. He came in and he was furious to see the house of God made into something that was profitable for man instead of honoring to God. Something that was made about man instead of about God. He saw that inversion and it made him furious. Luke chapter 19 says, and he said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Matthew chapter six, Jesus warns his disciples not to be like those people. He says, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees what's in secret will reward you. And he goes on and he says, when you pray, you must not like, be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. They have their reward because they want it to be seen by people. That's all they get. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, okay, you want it to be seen by people? Great, you got it. That's it. That's your reward. That's a small reward in comparison to what you can have when you have a relationship with your father. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. And he finishes out, he says, when you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. They make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. I tell you, they have their reward, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me summarize all of this for you. When you give and you pray and you fast, it's not about you, it's about God. It has nothing to do with your own glorification, your own edification from others, it is about God, it's not about you. When you do these things, when you pray, you give, and you fast, they all go together, actually, right? Because they're acts that are of submission to God. You don't do it for the recognition. You know, Jesus says in somewhere else, he tells a, 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 the story of a widow who she comes and she gives a gift. It's two bucks, and that's all she has. And you see other people pouring their loud coins into the treasury at the temple because they want the honor. People are like, oh, wow, they're giving a lot. Dude's loaded. Look at what he's giving to God. And Jesus says, she's given more than they have because she gave all she has. They gave out of their abundance, right? They were seeking their own glory. She was seeking to be in right alignment with God and to be seen as in obedience to him. This is relationship versus religion. God wants your heart. You have to start with your heart. If you don't start with your heart, then it doesn't matter. You can have a checklist where you say, okay, God, I got up this morning and I did this and this and this and this and this. And a lot of times you do that just so that you can 
pat yourself on the back and be like, oh, you got through the list today, buddy. Good job. Or so somebody else will come up to you and say, wow, look at you. Big fella getting it done. Great job. That's your reward, man. That's it. You do these things so that people will see you. That's all you get. But when you pray to your father who's in heaven, you pray to him in secret, he sees you and he rewards you because you're coming to him like a child, coming to their father and just saying, God, let me be honest. That is a much, much greater reward. It's about a relationship with God where you give him your whole heart. Prayer is where you give God your heart each and every day. Jesus specifically tells us how we should pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to talk here real quick. This is what's called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to unpack here some acknowledgments that we have to make from the Lord's Prayer, but this is a template. This is not something that, this is the exact prayer you have to pray every time you go to pray. But what it is, is it's a roadmap, a template for you to use in your prayer. And there's some things that we want to pull out of it and talk about here really quickly so that you can understand what Jesus is trying to get after. The first is that you have to acknowledge God's position in your prayer. He says, our Father who's in heaven. So he's saying, look, God, You're up here and I'm down here and I know how this relationship works. You're in heaven and I'm not. You have to acknowledge that. You have to say, God, I understand who you are. I acknowledge your position in my life. But he also doesn't just say, my father in heaven. What does he say? He says, our father in heaven. Why? Because the truth is, we have this tendency. We have this tendency to treat God like he's a genie in a bottle. We carry him around in our pocket and we're like, oh, I need something. We pull him out. We rub the lamp. Oh, bingo. No red lights today. Great. That God's so small. I don't know who that God is, but he's not my God. The fact of the matter is that my God moves in my life and he moves in your life. He is greater than just something in my own mind. He's not a creation in here. He's the God that created me and he created you too. The Holy Spirit that works in me is the same Holy Spirit that works in every member of Jesus' church. The word of God that changes me is the same word of God that changes each and every one of you. It's the same word that's powerful in my life and powerful in yours. He's our God, our Father. He is bigger than just me. My relationship with him is personal, but it is not private. He is my God and your God. He is our God. He is bigger than me. He's not somebody that I can pull out of my pocket. That God is too small, Christian. He is too small. Do not let that be your God. He's not your vending machine God where you put in a quarter and you get a candy bar. That was pre-inflation. Now you put it in like 20 quarters and you get a candy bar. (laughs) But he's not that small. That's not his purpose. He's not the vending machine God. That's not who he is. He's our God. He's the God that changes everything. He's the creator of heaven and earth. You have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge his position first. Then you can acknowledge his power. You have to trust that he is who he says he is. He says, your name be honored as holy. That's the next thing he says. You have to trust that he's God. You know, God is powerful. Uh, I want to give you this illustration. I have a two-year-old who is great. He's amazing. I love him. But he's two. And because he's two, he cannot get water for himself. So he often comes to me when we're in the house and he'll say, Dada, I need water. Great. He believes 
that I can get him water. Do you know why? Because I have the power to give him water. It is within my scope of authority. He comes to me and he says, can you fill this up for me? And I'm like, yeah. It is impossible for him because he's very short. The sink is very high and he can't get there. It doesn't matter how long he tried or how hard he tried. He can't get up there yet. It's too big for him, but it is not that hard for me. It's relatively easy. All I have to do is take the cup and fill it up and I hand it right back to him. Do you believe that God can give you the things that you need when you pray for them? The same way that my son believes I can turn around and hand him a cup of water. That that power is within his authority? Because I'll tell you what it is. Do you believe that God has the power that he says he has? Is he who he says he is or is he the God that you've tried to put in your pocket? One God is powerful. The other God is puny. The good thing is that the God of the Bible is the one that's powerful. The next thing you need to acknowledge is you need to acknowledge God's will. There are other times when this same son that I love comes to me and he says, Dada, I want a donut. And I look at him and I say, that is not my will for you today. (laughs) But he really wants it. And he's like, no, I want it really bad. I've had him. I say I've had him. This was yesterday. So just know this. We had a little box of donut holes from H-E-B. He loves them. I love them. He loves them too. And he wanted them, but he'd already had some. And he said, Dada, I want a donut. And I said, no, you've had four. And this led him to get on his knees and fall on his face and start crying. He really wanted one. He was like, I'm going to die. That's what he thinks. He's like, ah, no more donuts. It's the end. It's the end of times. Because the two-year-old baby Paxton, that is devastating. How many times have you walked in your life and you were just in tears, praying to God for something that you looked back later and you realized you didn't need or you didn't want? How often have you looked back and said, all right, God, thanks for protecting me from myself. Thanks for that. I mean, sometimes if God had given me the things I had prayed for at the time, man, I'd be hosed. I'm glad that his will is greater than my will. That's why when I come to him in prayer, I submit my will to his. I say, God, your kingdom, your will, not mine. You have to acknowledge God's will ahead of your own. The next thing is you need to acknowledge your needs. You need to know your needs versus your wants, but you also need to be able to come and ask for your needs. He is your father. So when my son comes to me and he asks me for water, I give it to him because without water, he will die. Without donuts, he will be fine. Without water, he will die. It is in my will to give my son water because he needs it. You have to be able to distinguish between the two and you have to be comfortable to go before God boldly and say, God, this is what I need. You align your will to his and then you go and you ask him for what you need. And when you do that, your prayers will be answered. Next thing you need to acknowledge is you need to acknowledge others. It says, and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Um, fact check. Who in here has sinned? Let's see. All right, real test. All right, that's all the hands. All right, great. Just making sure. Okay, you have to be able to look to the people in the church and forgive them. It is what we are called to as a body of believers. Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The good news is God's son, Jesus, the savior of the world, died on a cross, was buried, three days later, rose, 
defeated death and the grave so that you could have life forever. And that means that you can give forgiveness and be given forgiveness. That's the attitude we have to stay in with other believers. With God and with others, you have to be able to come and ask for and give forgiveness. You have to acknowledge that. That's how the church is meant to live. You have to go be able to clear up offenses. And you know what? If you're only ever giving forgiveness and not ever asking for it, you might, you might want to do a heart check. <laughs> might be on you. The truth is that I need forgiveness all the time. Ask my wife. But the last thing is that you have to acknowledge the future. You have to acknowledge that God's deliverance is going to be provided. It says, don't yield us to temptation, but rescue us from evil. The God that rescues us when we first acknowledge Jesus and we first say yes to Jesus, then we're saved from death and hell and the grave. But after that, on this side of heaven, we're still all a work in progress. You have to be in the continued practice of going and saying, all right, God, I am tempted. Help deliver me from that. And the truth is that you have the Holy Spirit within you who gives you the power to do that and can rescue you from, from temptation and from the evil one. That's what scripture says. It says that those daily things that you're still working through because on this side of heaven, you're a work in progress, you can be delivered from. Scripture says there's no temptation that's common to man that's so great that you can't overcome it, but that God always provides a way for you to escape it. Acknowledge that God is going to deliver. The last big idea or the last thing I want to do is I want to talk about some big ideas for prayer before we close. Some big ideas as we talk about prayer. First one is that prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. This is where you come to God and you have a conversation with your father. You honor him as God. You honor that he is greater than you, but you also come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. That means that you have to be willing to come before God, humble yourself before him, and say, Dad, help. It's a conversation. That also means you have to listen. Do you take the time in your prayer life to listen to what God might have to say to you? Do you take the time to receive what he might have? What's your first response when you're in trouble? Is your first response to pray? Or is it to go and gossip at the water cooler at work? Because I'll tell you, I've done that and it doesn't really help me. I've prayed and I've gotten a lot better results than the water cooler gossip. One is powerful. The other only hurts you. Make prayer your first reaction in time of trouble. The second thing is that prayer gives us strength. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Prayer sustains you. You know, when Jesus was in the desert, he was fasting. Before he was going to be tempted by the devil, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. That's what scripture says. And he was praying. Prayer was helping sustain it. Prayer gives you strength. Because prayer is a conversation with your father. Has anybody ever gone and they've had a conversation with their father or a mentor in their life? You walked in needing strength, and you walked out strengthened because that person was able to provide you what you needed. Prayer strengthens you. When you go and do this with God, you will find peace that passes all understanding. That's what scripture says. It says prayer does that. The third thing is that prayer is stronger combined with fasting and giving. Ecclesiastes chapter four says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer Three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. The principle here is that uh, things work better when they 
work together. In Matthew chapter 6, we saw that Jesus talked about prayer, fasting, and giving all together. Why? Because these are acts of submission to God that aren't meant to be seen by other people. They're ways that we're meant to submit to him first, not to be seen by others, but to be seen by our Father who is in secret, and they work better together. He goes into teaching about fasting and giving in the same time he's talking about prayer because they go together. They're meant to work together. The fourth thing that you see is that prayer changes things, but it changes you first. Prayer does change things, but first it changes you. Because you come into a relationship with God and your heart is not in alignment with him. The first time, if you're in this room and you, and you have never experienced this, the first time that you come to God and you say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, I want to make you my Lord. What you're saying is, I want you to be in control, God. I give over my life to you. You're the boss now. I'm done being the boss. And after that, when you come to back to him in prayer, it's a realignment of your heart. It's an opportunity for you to come to the Father and say, okay, God, today is dedicated to you. My first thing this morning is I'm dedicating this day to you and to who you are. It's an opportunity for you to align yourself and it changes you. Why? Because you came in and your heart was your heart and it's kind of messed up. And you come and you say, God, I want your will. And that brings you into alignment. It changes you first. And then it changes the things around us. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The prayer of a person who's brought themselves into alignment with God has power because it's aligned with God. That's the prayer of a righteous person. The prayer of a person who sought God's will. The, last, the next thing I want to see is that prayers can be hindered. This is important for us to understand. There are things that can hinder your prayer life. There are things that can hinder your ability to have those conversations with God our Father. Here are some ways that they can be hindered. The first is selfishness. This is you, James 4, it says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You come and you say, God, I want this and that and that, but you really just want these things so that you can use them for you. They're not really in alignment with God's will at all. You're asking with the wrong motives. You're asking from selfish motives instead of motives based on what God wants for you. The second thing is doubt. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Now without faith it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Your lack of faith can hinder. If my son came to me and he said, ah, Dad of water, he didn't really believe that I could give it to him. That's weird. I'm going to be like, son, why don't you think I can give you water? And I'm going to look at him and I'm going to say, let me fix your heart first and then I'll get you the water. Let's deal with this issue first. James says we need to fix our heart first before we ask for the things from God. Disobedience will derail your prayers. John, 1 John 3 says, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. If your heart is in rebellion against God, if you're in active disobedience to God, your prayers are going to be hindered. When my son, my older son, who is the two-year-old? I know. My older son's two. My younger son's one. When the two-year-old punches the one-year-old, which has happened, and he comes to me and he says, can I play with that toy? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's fix this first. And then we'll talk about that. Let's fix this, the disobedience, and then we'll talk about what you're asking me for. Let's fix the greater issue first. Disobedience will derail our prayers. The next thing is marital strife. 
1 Peter 3 says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as a weaker partner, showing the honor as co-heirs of grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Marriage is a sacred covenant to God. It's second only to the covenant that we have with Christ in the church. It's actually a model of that covenant. They're parallels. Nobody walks into my house with greater honor than my wife. Nobody. There's nobody that walks into that house and deserves more honor and respect than she does. That means she deserves when I mess up for me to clean up. And you know what? She treats me the same way. Wives, honor your husbands. Husbands, honor your wives. God cares about the marriage covenant. You are one. That's what scripture says, is that the two become one flesh. You are one. So be in unity with each other, and then your prayers won't be hindered. My wife gets the best of me. She also gets the worst of me, and I need to correct that. Because when she gets the worst of me, I need to get forgiveness so that we can move on, and I can take my prayers to the Father. He cares about a broken marriage covenant. The next thing is unresolved offenses. This is the same principle but played out in the church. Matthew chapter five says, so if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled with your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. He's saying, I want you to be in unity with members of my church, members of my body, my bride, and then come and offer your gift. Your gift is stained when you have unspoken or unhealed offenses with other people in the church. First, go and be reconciled to them. Deal with that and then come and offer your gift so that your heart can be fully mine. That's what God is saying. The last thing is unconfessed sin and dishonesty. Psalm 66 says, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Confession brings us back to God. The truth is that the first time you receive Jesus and you receive your salvation, when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, my King. I believe that you died on, on the cross and rose again on the third day to save me from my sin, that you took this sacrifice you took the punishment for my sin. That's you saying, yes, Jesus, I want you. But the truth is on this side of heaven, y'all, we're all still a work in progress. You have to come back to God and still say, all right, God, let me confess. I sinned against you today. And when you give that confession, that brings you back to God. You confess your sin first. And finally, as I close, I want to talk to you about the last big idea I want you to take away about prayer, which is that prayer is an attitude. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Prayer is something you're meant to carry with you. Pray without ceasing. It's an attitude you're supposed to carry with you. It's supposed to be your first response. It's supposed to be something that you come before God and you look to him and you say, Dad, help. Prayer is an attitude. It's a posture of your heart. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. Just pray. Pray to your Father. Come boldly before the throne. The truth is, the last seven weeks, now eight, we've talked about all of these different tools that we have in our tool bag, the armor of God, the things that God has given to equip us to be ready to go and fight the battles that he has for us. But it doesn't matter if you don't put them on. Your armor is useless if it's laying in the corner. You have to put it on. You have to pick up the spear. You have to put on all of the other six pieces of armor so that you can stand. Everybody say stand. We are called to stand. The fights have come and they're going to continue to come and they're going to continue to come because the days are evil. Stand. That's your call. If you're a believer here today, you are called to stand against the evil in the world. That looks like standing against it in your own life when your own heart is corrupt. 
and you have to stand against it, and you have to choose what's right over what's wrong. And it looks like standing against it when the evil is knocking at your door, telling you, say something that contradicts what God's word says. It's happening all the time in our world. And you have to say, no, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand on the truth of his word. I'm going to stand with the whole armor. I'm going to stand protected. Suit up, church. Put on the armor. Now is the time. The days are evil. It's time to stand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have given us what we need to fight the battles that you've put in front of us. Lord, thank you that today and tomorrow and all the days after that, you will be with us. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see that you are the powerful God that said, that is who you say you are. Thank you, God, for being powerful enough to provide for our needs. Thank you, God, for being good. God, I pray over each and every one of the members here of Vintage Church that you would equip them with the whole armor, that they would be ready to stand. And Lord, I pray that today and tomorrow and in all the evil days to come, that we would stand. Church, I want to stay in a posture of prayer here this morning. If you're in the room today and you're listening to all of this and you're saying, I feel like I've been praying to the God that fit in my pocket. I don't feel like I, I, I don't think that I really understood what you're talking about, Pastor Daniel. I don't really think I got it. Maybe you're far from God and you don't want to be and you knew all of this, but you've been running from him. Maybe you're just far and, you, and you've walked away whether for the first time or for the first time in a long time, you're sitting in this room today and you're saying, God, I am far from you, but I don't want to be. I want to invite you here in a moment. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. You know, scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The salvation that you are looking for is right here, right now. And it came because Jesus Christ hung on a cross, died, and then rose from the grave and defeated death so that you could be free. If you believe that, scripture says you'll be saved. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It says for the heart, someone believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So if you're sitting here and that's you today and you're just saying, I wanna get right with God. God, I, I, I don't have you, but I need you for the first time or for the first time in a long time, it doesn't matter. If that's you and you're sitting in this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around, we just raise your hand so we can pray with you. We raise your hand. Thank you. 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 I see you in the back. Thank you. Church, if you're in this room, you are not alone. So if there's anybody else, will you just raise your hand? If there's anybody else, thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Church, we want to pray with these people. Every single day is a good day for people to come into the house of the Lord. And we want to help encourage them and let them know that they're not alone as they step into this new walk. So as, so as to encourage them, as I pray this prayer, I'd like all of us to pray it out loud as you repeat after me so that we can encourage our new brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So I want us to all pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are God and I believe you're good. 
I believe on the third day, after you were killed on the cross, I believe you resurrected from the dead. I believe you defeated death once and for all to give me life once and for all. So today, of my own free will, I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me, guide me, and show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Church, let's give it up for those people. Amen.